Uh, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Jerry Covington. I'm originally from Mississippi, and I've attended Life Church for about 12 years. Uh, I'm married to my wife for 14 years, Tori Covington, and together we have four children, and we currently live in Underwood, Minnesota. And during my time here at Life Church, I've served on the worship team. Uh, I've been involved in Alpha, men's ministry, kids camp, the interim church governance team, and I'm currently a member of the finance ministry team. I'm actively involved in Life Church outreach ministry, and I'm here today to share with you because of God's desire to refine other giftings in me to be used by the church body, and uh, thank you for having me. So, I went to public school in Mississippi, and when I was in the fifth grade, I had a science teacher by the name of Mr. Hammond. And at the beginning of the school year, in each class, he had a special little saying that he would share with the students that year. And it went like this. If you lie, you'll cheat. If you cheat, you'll steal. If you steal, you'll kill. And if you kill, then you'll do just about anything imaginable. And you have to be pretty low to do something like that. And me, like most of the other kids, you know, we just shrugged it off. But it wasn't until later that year that I was confronted with those words. But people from Gideon's would come around to the fifth grade classes and were given a pocket-sized Gideon's Bible. And the person passing out the Bible started handing out the lime green ones, which no one liked. And they handed out the last little lime green one, and someone brought in a new box of the little black ones, passed those out, made a few comments, and left. And so I decided that I didn't like the green one, and I liked the black one. When the opportunity came and no one was looking, I stole the little black Bible from my neighbor's desk. I erased her name from the Bible and wrote my name in it. The girl realized the Bible was gone, stands up and tells the teacher. She asked me and the people around her if I had seen it. And of course, I said no. Eventually, they searched everyone's bag, and to my surprise, <laughs> they found it in mine. So I was taken to the principal's office and was told by the principal, only a low-down, dirty dog would steal the Bible. <laughs> and he said, the Lord is going to get you for that. And I said, uh, uh, and I thought, I said, and at that moment, I remembered Mr. Hammond's words. And it was a humbling thing, and I never forgot uh, what he said to me. And to this day, I still live with it, obviously. So let's look at Psalm 51. God wants us to humble ourselves, pray to him, seek relationship with him, and turn in a new direction from sin. So there's this saying that says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Well, if you stay humble, you don't have to get humbled. So Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance in the New King James Version Bible. We find King David crying out to God. Nathan gave David a strong rebuke in the form of a parable for his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. So David saw an opportunity to sin while on the rooftop of his palace. And instead of removing himself from the sin, he pursued it. 
He asked around about Bathsheba and had her brought to his palace to meet him. He lay with Bathsheba as if she was his wife. Then he made her pregnant and used Joab to set up Uriah to be killed on the front lines of battle. Bathsheba gives birth to David's son. God strikes the boy down and he dies. David is convicted by Nathan's rebuke, repents by crying out to God with a humble and contrite heart. And here we have Psalms 51. So David is repenting in this psalm. And we believe that David in Psalm 51, like other psalms, is being sincere in his prayer and authentic in his worship to God. So this demonstration of repentance is not just for the sinner, as most people think. It's also for those who already know God. God desires that all be saved through the forgiveness of sin, baptism of the Holy Spirit, by baptism in, the wa in water in the name of Jesus Christ. So in 2 Chronicles 7.14 in NIV, it explains how to repent. And it reads, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So David comes to God with a contrite heart. So what is a contrite heart? A contrite heart is one that is broken and humble and therefore humiliated by what sin has cost them. The cost is a relationship with God, pain and suffering after sin. The contrite heart confesses its sins to a trusted, confident, and to God. So Nathan, the prophet, was that person for David. So maybe we should get ourselves a Nathan. Someone you can trust and can confess your sins to. And they can confess their sins to you. And not to be a burden on each other, but to hold each other accountable. But here's a lesson in that confession to the trusted confidant. Don't confess your sins to the people who do not have a relationship with God or who do not treat your confession delicately. The only exceptions to this would be when you hear a confession that puts, uh, that puts you or someone else in danger or a law has been broken against the authorities of the land. But select who you will confess to because there are too many people who lust after gossip for the sake of spreading or comparing their sin with another person's sin. People have left churches because church members participate in spreading gossip instead of spreading the gospel and hurting instead of healing. And if we are serious about helping the lost, the last and the least, let's get the right posture and be a help and not a hindrance, a stepping stone and not a stumbling block to those sinking in sin. So maybe you need to get yourself a Nathan like David had. A Nathan that will talk to you about your sins to your face for the sake of your salvation. Someone who will hear your confession of sin, pray with you, and take it to the throne of God and let God do the fixing. Too often, we think we're the ones to fix people, but God is. God provides grace, his love, and his restoration. And we 
are rewarded with faith and hope in him. But God wants better from us. I believe that God would like us to return to his first commandment. So what is God's first commandment? So let's go back to the beginning. In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we witness the command of God. And in then again, Genesis 3, 2 through 3, Eve repeats it to the serpent. So God tells Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge. So is this about fruit? Is this about the garden? No, it's about obedience. And more importantly, obedience to the voice of the one true God of heaven, where man is the crown jewel of that creation. So Isaiah 66 and 2 in the NIV, God talks about all that he created and why he favors the humble. And it reads, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So God saw David's humility and covered him with grace and restored him so that he can continue in grace, hope, and faith and in God. And his prayer of repentance in David's authentic worship and humility. So we've humbled ourselves, so now we have to pray. So we pray, and prayer is the petition unto God and can be used to call on God for the remission of cleansing of sin. In Psalm 51, verse 7, David petitions to God to purge him with hyssop and wash him whiter than snow. And in verse 10, David also prays to God to create in him a clean heart and a renew a steadfast spirit within him. So David considers himself filthy. David recognizes God as the only authority that can clean him. God cleans by baptizing David in his spirit. And his grace is sufficient to wash away the worst sins that we can think of. And we are dirty because we are filled with all types of sins. And once we come to know Jesus Christ, we also try to disqualify ourselves from what God would have us do in the church body because we know how filthy we are and how deep the filth of sin goes. But we must keep praying and stay fast because prayer is the key that we give God to access areas in our lives. We need to let God into every area of our lives for sin exists. But we only give God access to pieces. Amen? We want him in our money, but not in our minds. We want him in our spouse's heart, but not in ours. We want him in our many forms of entertainment, but not in each part of our daily employment. So we ask God to fix others and forget to fix our own filthiness. We want him in times of death, but not in our daily lives. We have witnessed people praying for dead relatives, co-workers, close friends, but far too often we don't take time to pray for them 
while they are yet with us? Who do we serve when we don't let God into our complete selves? We open ourselves up to serve our flesh, our sinful nature, and that and all that it desires. So me and my wife, we have four kids, three that live at home, and at any given time, you can visit our house and witness the literal kitchen arguments that happen on the daily. And we try to teach our kids, you know, MYOB, you know, mind your own business. But it never fails that vicious words are said to each other and fights break out. Y'all all have been there. So we got this rule in our house that if two people are fighting, they have to apologize by saying sorry and tell the other person why they are sorry. They have to do all this while making eye contact with the person that they hurt, okay? So then we can move on. <laughs> I'd like to tell you that it works perfectly, but it doesn't. And it usually goes like this. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> and either my wife or I would say, nope. No, no, you got to say that again. Child, you didn't even sound sorry. So you can do better than that. And so the point is, is that most of our prayers can sound fake like that to God. Maybe we're not sorry for what we did. Maybe we're just sorry we got caught. Like how I was when I got caught with the stolen Bible. Where is the respect we used to put on God's name? How often have you heard people say, let's pray quick? And there's nothing wrong with praying quick when you have a regular conversation with God all day. Or how about distracted praying? That's the type of prayer you do as you're focused on something else at the corner of your eye. Or a distracting thought that comes in your mind and you stutter and get that awkward pause and then you quickly say amen and then we go on about our business. See, what we're not going to do is cheat God with our time of prayer. He wants us to have an intimate connection with us. So we should want to have one-on-one -on -one connection with him. Amen? So take, for example, the, the disciples that followed Jesus Christ. Uh, they could have asked Jesus to teach them anything. Could have asked him, hey, you know, God, I saw you turn that water into wine. You could teach, them, teach me that. But they never asked Jesus to turn water into wine, heal the blind, or any miraculous work that Jesus performed. No, they asked Jesus how he prays to his Father, and Jesus showed them. So when we obey God, we glorify him. And this is how we demonstrate respect and reverence toward God. We reflect, we inherit his spirit and his commandment to finish the work of God on earth. So Jesus Christ is obedient in all things of God. That is why he is called the light of the world. We live in darkness when we are disobedient, which means we distance ourselves from God. Now, if we go back to King David standing on the palace rooftop, watching Bathsheba before his lament, we should ask why why was David alone and not with his men? Since King David knew the lay of his palace, did he know where to stand on the roof to get a clear view of Bathsheba? In fact, 
What happened can be the same as finding pornography, nudity, sexual images, a particular movie with gratuitous sex, and one with repeated bad language, and instead of blocking it from your view, you bookmark it and get a little closer to the sin. We just snuggle right up beside it as if it can't kill us. And look at how easy it is to get to. A lot of social media platforms got their start as software designed to hook up with potential sex partners by raiding a person's face. Yeah, that's Facebook. Or by sending secretive texts or chats that disappear after they are read. That's your Snapchat. All forms of darkness pretending to be normal. And now it is at a very public role in our lives. Amen. <laughs> so last October, my wife and I went with a few Life Church members and attended the Let There Be Light Conference in Champlain, Illinois. One of the many speakers there, Jay Pathak, was starting to share his salvation story. And before he shared the story, he said this, can we just talk about porn for a minute? To which most of the attendees had a lot of different responses. Some people were like, other people were looking around, and, you know, folks were talking to me, is he reading my mail? And so he continued. He said, we don't just come home one day, decide that we're going to have a great meal with our families, play a few games with them, and say to ourselves, you know, I think I'll finish the night off by watching some porn. And what he said not only applies to porn, but to any other secret addictions we have in our lives. Because sin is sneaky. Amen? Sneaky. Sin always operates under the cover of darkness. It uses whispers to first direct your attention to where the opportunity for sin or to sin is hiding. But if we combat the secret sin life with a secret prayer life, we will see our lives change through the power of God. So what do we do when it comes to sin? We can worry about it, but that will change nothing. We can tell other people about our situation in hopes that they will pray for us. We can stuff it and smile as if you're not hurting. We most often turn to, southern, uh, to other sinful behaviors or actions. We can become angry and turn violent. We can carry the sin to every job and every relationship that we have. We invite and infect other people to and with our sins because misery loves company. We can hate ourselves to the point where we no longer want to live. We self-medicate to cope to, or turn to drunkenness, sleeping around, pumping our bodies full of marijuana, cocaine, or meth to drown out the sin. We can become too proud to listen to God or other godly people who try pointing you away from sin. We resort to lying, cheating, stealing, and killing each other. So in turn, sin gives birth to more sin. 
and darkness tries to cover it up. So in James 5.16, the NLT, we see there is a healthier way. And it reads, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Or otherwise, the earnest, the earnest uh, prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if you want, to, want the best example of the power of prayer, you only need to look at Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 19, and in 2 Kings 1 through 2. And what we should do is push like Elijah. And what is push, you say? It's pray until something happens. We should pray until something happens. You see, Elijah was just a man like you and me, but not the only thing that he did. But what set him apart was that he was completely obedient to God and Elijah was fully dependent on God. So Elijah prayed and it stopped raining for three years. Elijah prayed and it started raining again, so much so that the crops began to grow. Elijah prayed and the widow's oil and flour never ran out. Elijah prayed and the widow's, widow's son was raised from the dead. Elijah prayed and called down fire from heaven to consume the offering at Mount Carmel. We should pray until something happens uh, like Elijah did. Pray until we see the breakthrough, amen? So this prayer of lament to God from David is a plea to remove the sin against him. In verse 9, David cries out to God to blot out his sin as a lender would cancel the debt of someone who owes but cannot repay. And David is in debt. He is morally bankrupt. And there is no other way he can be replenished except through the remission of sin which only comes through seeking the Lord our God. So let's seek. So we should seek God first. We know that God sees all, as in Proverbs 15:3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, observing evil and the good. But we forget that God's presence is with us always, but not obvious to us. When we seek God, we focus everything on God first. We offer God our first fruits by giving him our time, our talent, and our treasures. We commune with God daily. This is the, God, this is the life God had designed for us when he created Adam and Eve, to commune with him daily. So where do we look to find God? Well, the good news is that God is everywhere. And to be clear, you don't find God. God finds you. In fact, he's always drawing you to him. We seek God because he's seeking us. He watches over us all the time, not to intervene, but to measure our desire to be in his presence, and he blesses that faithfulness. Our seeking is a day-by-day, 
hour by hour, and sometimes a minute by minute decision to choose him over everything else that distracts, attracts, and traps us. How can your life be changed when the only time you're talking to God is when you're in trouble or when you're needing something or when something tragic happens in your life or in the world? How can you pursue the things of this world and pursue God? You can't because you will either love one or hate the other, as Matthew 5.24 tells us. God wants us to seek him with our whole heart. Every corner of our heart must pursue God if we want right relationship with him. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. We must plan to encounter God everywhere we go and bring God to every place we know. In fact, we must ask God to meet us where we are going, be beside us when we get there, and go before us when we leave. And praying and seeking go hand in hand. But we can try praying to God without seeking him, and we can try seeking him without praying. But it usually only ends in frustration. So this is why we must seek God diligently with our hearts. But somebody might say, but the heart is evil. And you're right. In Jeremiah 17, 9, in the Amplified Version, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? In the NIV, the same verse reads like this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I tell you, God can understand you. And we seek God diligently by asking God to open up the eyes of our heart, by asking God to help us remove idols in the heart, by asking God how to count it all joy like Paul. We read God's word out of wanting to know him, not because we have a requirement or a quota to fulfill. God is not glorified by that. We should remind ourselves how worthy of praise God is. We should worship him all day and take him to our dreams at night, and we should never cease praying in all that we do. So then I encourage you to leave your sins in the rearview mirror and focus on the road ahead. We should make sure that we leave the sins of yesterday in yesterday after we have fully repented of them. The scriptures tell us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 9. David references this in Psalm 51 when he asks God to cleanse him. Jesus tells us that a man who looks back on his own sin is not fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9 62. And that alone should be motivation to look forward while seeking the Lord. So this last step, probably the most important step to me, is to turn. So people of God, repenting is feeling true remorse. We know that. The moment you know you've done something wrong and are sorrowful, not for yourself, but for the broken relationship and trust you have committed against God in heaven. The evil that David committed, what was it? 
Was it adultery? Was it murder? Betrayal? Or pride? Yes, and the evil that David also committed was the sin of disobedience. As he worshipped lustful desires in his sinful flesh that pierced his heart and took over his mind and manifested the evil in his hands, his mouth, and his lower self. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. Don't let that take your heart. Don't let it kidnap your heart. Possess it to take it out of the hands of God. Keep your heart with God. You keep your soul with God. Because whatever takes your heart replaces your love with what is lesser than God. So before we sin, it's, it's awesome because God always gives us a way out. Think about Joseph, son of Jacob, and how he ran from Potiphar's wife, leaving his robe behind. And even though she falsely accused him, he found favor even in jail. So running from sin is necessary. And since we have learned last week concerning Psalm 46 about God being a warrior God king, we must also be warriors under God's command. Sometimes in war, we must retreat and regroup to make ourselves strong so that we may make, overcome the enemy. We must be willing to uh, and be successful in turning away from sin. So what happens when we don't turn away from sin? Well, disaster is the result. When the enemy overcomes us, we can't just lie there and let it happen. We must keep fighting, keep pushing forward, because we press forward toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.14. We must leave our sins at the cross and turn away. Don't go back to your sin. We are foolish without God, but once we know him, we are made new creatures and we turn away from foolishness, amen? But if we turn our sin, return to our sins as a dog may return to his vomit, then we live as fools, all of us. Because in Titus 3.3, we are reminded of that. For at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, misled, and enslaved to all sorts of desires and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So Jesus has warned us in the scriptures that as a man thinketh, so he is. So your mind is the battlefield, and the soul is the prize. So if you fill your mind with images, words, music, false teachings, and other abominations of the world, you will indeed manifest an abomination of some magnitude. But if you feed your mind the things of God, then you will manifest the fruit of God. We are instructed that finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And when you turn your mind toward God, you turn your heart toward God. And when you turn your heart to God, you turn your soul to God. And if you are not turning fast enough, then the Lord will tarry or wait on you because the Lord is patient and kind. He is faithful to restore when we repent. And anything opposite of that, our short of repenting is death. So I urge you saints 
and those of you watching. Turn your life over to God and let his spirit arrest you for your transgressions that you may be freed in your submission. Amen? As Psalm 51 says in verse 12 and 13, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach grant transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. In 1 Samuel 15 and 22, it says, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat, fattest of lambs. We are witnessing in our lifetime the end of everything. And our God is not just a God of mercy, but he is also a God of judgment. And the enemy has come to lie, cheat, steal, and destroy your soul. So in closing, church, I leave you with this. Get serious with the sin in your life. Sin is real because hell is real. Amen? Because if you stay humble, and you don't have to get humble. So if you repent of your sins, first, you must do so by humbling yourself before the Lord of mercy, grace, and love. A contrite heart is one that is broken and humble. A contrite heart confesses and returns to God. The first commandment, obedience. Pray because prayer is a petition to God. Prayer is the key we give to God and give him access in our lives. Push, pray until something happens. Seek, seek God first. Seek with all your heart. Seek diligently. Leave your sins in the rearview mirror. Turn, turn away from sin. Press forward toward the mark, toward your life over to God from your wicked ways. And when we do all these things, God will hear from heaven. Glory to God. <laughs> And he will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. And we will experience the latter rain. He is faithful and worthy to be praised. Amen? So church, I leave you with this. And it comes out of Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And it's to bless you. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ even before he made the world. God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gives him magnificent pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belongs to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with our wisdom and understanding. And God has now revealed us to his mysterious will regarding Christ 
which is to fulfill his good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have re received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, and also with us, who were the first to trust in Christ, would be, bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. Good news about God is that God saves. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we could praise and glorify him. God is serious about sin. And the only way we can eradicate the sin from the world is if we spend time on our face praying to him, seeking him, humbling ourselves before the Lord consistently so that he can heal our land and return us to our former selves. Let us pray. The Heavenly Father, we ask that you enter our hearts in such a way that you clean out the darkest corners of our lives. God, we need you right now. We need you in our homes. We need you on our jobs. God, we need you in the world. And so we pray the manifestation of God's grace, love, and mercy be felt not only in front of us, but all around us, God. We take you everywhere we go. And I charge the people in this church and those who are watching, be an ambassador for God. Go out and find the last, the lost, and the least. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.